Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. Brian Lowry. Brian is a professor of organizational behavior and a social psychologist by training at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Brian is driving an initiative to shape enlightened and purposeful leaders for a diverse society. Brian's research examines the operation of racial attitudes below the threshold of consciousness and the perception of inequality. He's been published in major scholarly journals, such as the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, and Law in Human Behavior. Today, we're talking about the psychological responses to the concept of privilege. Brian, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, Graham. Great to be here with you. Hey, Brian, as we start out today on this whole topic, give us a little bit of background of yourself, what brought you into this work and uh, around the concepts of race and privilege and equality. Give us some sense of you, would you? Sure. So as you said, I'm a professor at Stanford in the Graduate School of Business, and I came to social psychology pretty early on, I think. So I'd been interested in making sense of people's experiences and how race and other aspects of people's demographic backgrounds affect their experience in the world since, mm. you know, I was before high school. So I grew up in Chicago and for people who don't know, Chicago is one of the most segregated, it has been one of the most segregated cities in the nation. And I went to a number of different schools and some of those schools were predominantly black schools, 90% probably and higher. And some of those schools were predominantly white schools where I was one of a handful of black students. And I very quickly noticed the differences in terms of the resources mm -hmm. that those schools had and the way the the students were understood and treated. And also at the same time, my mom was a school teacher in Chicago, public school teacher in Chicago. So I, I had the opportunity to visit her schools and, and see the experience of students from a different perspective as an outsider observer. And the depth of inequalities and inequities in treatment and access to resources was so stark. It was something that I just really wanted to understand. And so the, the study of society, the study of people's responses to each other just fascinated me from then on, which led me eventually to, and somewhat circuitously to psychology as a, a field of study and eventually a PhD in social psychology and where I am now as a professor in the school of business, again, always trying to make sense of people's place in the world and how they came to be there. So that that's, I hope that helps a little bit, give you that's a, a sense of, of where I am and how I got here. I appreciate you kind of bringing us around to that understanding. Tell me, as you're going through these things growing up in the different schools you would attend, what kind of conversations would you have with your mom? who was in a school system. And, and just real quick, what type of a school system was she in terms of the racial you know, diversity in that school? And then what kind of conversations would you have with her around the things that you were noticing? That's a good question. You know, I didn't talk to her that much about the things I noticed, honestly. So my mom was a teacher in the Chicago public school system. So okay. CPS, as uh -huh. it's known, she taught on the West side of Chicago in a predominantly black school. Okay. And so when we talked about it, 
to the extent we did, it was more her experience as a school teacher, right? The challenges associated with being a school teacher, the, you know, I don't think this is unique to her, the, the burnout when you don't yeah. have the kind of resources that you need to, to do the job you like to do, dealing with some number of parents who may not be that engaged. Yeah. So just the, the struggles with being a school teacher in, in our society, I don't, again, I don't think that was u- unique to her. But that, that's when we talked about it, that was mostly the, the conversation. And I think it was more, more her than, than, than me. Um, <laughs> she's carrying a lot of stuff, but she was carrying a lot of stuff. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, that I have a lot of respect for school teachers. It's quite a, quite a yeah. burden to carry given the way that we tend to treat teachers in our, in our society right now. How about as you've matured in your career in terms of degrees and work and publications and you write very well and in terms of clarity and, and specifics. And have you ever had any latter conversations with her uh, over the years? As you come um, into this more and more and shared the research? Honestly, that, curiosity? Not, not really. I mean, I think her interest in that is, I think, from her perspective, right? From her, yes. her vantage point and the place that my academic work comes from is more abstract, higher level. It's not, it's an attempt to understand it in a, in a broader context. Totally it's, get it's, it. you know, it's not located in a, in the kind of an on the ground in yeah. a particular position, like a teacher perspective. It's yeah. how, how did we as a society come to this place? How do we see each other in a, a broader kind of way? But I right. will say that I, I do, I don't, I don't know if you know this, Graham, but I also have a podcast and in my podcast, it's called Know What You See. I, I do take more of a, a perspective that I think the average person can appreciate and approach, right? It's less, it's less academic and it's more talking to people about their perspectives. And, and there, I think, I haven't talked to my mom that much about the podcast, but I think that kind of approach is probably more suited to connect to her experiences. Yeah, very good. Maybe we can kind of hone in a little bit on this idea and this concept of privilege. And as we start out, could you anchor us in a working definition of privilege? Yeah. So what I would say, and I, I don't, I don't want to present this as a technical definition, but as a, a place to start and think about privilege, what I mean is advantages or benefits that we enjoy that are connected to demographic characteristics mm-hmm. or societally imposed identities as opposed to what most people would think of as internal attributes. So just to give an example to help make this clear, if we go to apply for a job, if things other than your prior history, your Mm -hmm. ability to do the job are affecting your likelihood of getting that job, those are the things that I would think of as markers of privilege. So if I'm a man and I'm more likely to get a, be taken seriously for a job, that's a privilege associated with my gender. If I happen to be white and I'm more likely to get approved for a loan, that'd be privilege associated with my race in the sense that my gender and my race should have no bearing on my ability to do the job or repay a loan. Really good. So it's the, those advantages and benefits connected to the demographic characteristics versus internal attributes. Yeah. And the other thing I think is important in the definition that's implied but not explicitly stated is privilege is not living a life of ease and comfort necessarily. So to to determine if 
you're privileged on some dimension, it requires you to compare yourself to someone who's different on that dimension. So by that, I mean, if I'm a, a white guy and I want to say, hey, do I have gender privilege? It's not, is everything good happened to me because I'm a white guy? That's not what I mean by privilege. What I mean is if everything was the same about you, except you were a woman, mm-hmm. how would things be different? That's the appropriate way to determine if there's privilege associated with the gender in that, in that case. I think sometimes people, and we will come to this, I think we'll talk more about this, but sometimes when you use the word privilege, people take umbrage because what they hear you saying is life is easy for you. Everything good happens to you. You don't have problems. And that's not at all the claim, right? Everybody has problems. Everybody struggles in some way or another in life, independent of privileges they might have. So privilege is not the absence of struggle or the absence of bad things in your life. Yeah, you said before very well in your writings, and I would really encourage you know you listeners to take a look at some of the writings that Brian has put together, and we'll include those on our podcast as links for you. But you're not saying that you know, let's just use race for a moment that whites don't have hardships that they haven't gone through difficult times that they haven't pulled up their proverbial bootstraps and overcome adversities, etc. You're not saying that at all. You can go through all those things, but if all those things were measured equally and other people around them were to go through the same exact things, what would separate or differentiate at some point here would be the color piece in that moment. Exactly. So I, I, and this is, I think, really important as everyone struggles, as, as I said before, and as you mentioned there, and people work hard. People yes. really put effort into their lives and, and people, I, I believe people should be rewarded for those efforts and the talents they bring to the table. And that includes everyone. White men are working hard too and, and struggling with, with challenges and those things are real and meaningful and I don't in any way diminish that. So yeah. no matter what your category, I'm, I'm not diminishing the effort that people put in, the talents that they have, the struggles that they face. I just want to highlight that all else equal as an example, like I, I'm, I'm financially in, in a very privileged place, I would say. I'm in a much better place than say a white man that's homeless. I'm, I'm privileged relative to that person in, in many, many ways. But if I was a, a homeless, I'd rather be in most situations, white and homeless than black and homeless. I understand. Does that mean? So it's, yes, it's it and, and, and so it's not a, and would say, but being homeless is terrible for everyone, of course but there's still some advantages associated with race. And you can think about that in less intense examples, right? But that's, that's kind of what I, what I mean when I think about privilege. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental health first aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through mental health first aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. 
we're going to come to in a moment some of the psychological responses we're going to be talking about uh, the three d's of defense in just a second here but what you're stoking me to think about brian is that maybe the way that we have been addressing privilege at least to this point can't help but kick up some resistance kick up some defensiveness you know because what you're doing a nice job of and i appreciate is that you're not trying to kind of equivocate people here that you know you're saying well you've had only good things happen to you you're not you're not saying that all you could be homeless and still have privilege it's when you put it all in the similar line and there are some things that distinctly separate others as having more benefit even if their lives are dreadfully horrible they can still have something that they can have an advantage over or of and so I, I'm wondering, just to seed an idea, we have to, unless you have a thought about it, but I'm wondering maybe what we get to do even in this podcast is to think about if we're going to be talking about privilege, what are some of the right ways we could be talking about it to lessen the tendency to have a strong kind of you know knee-jerk reaction, whether it's a dissonance or a moral guilt or whatever gets come, comes up, that kind of maybe prematurely keeps the conversation from having a chance to be further explored. And I think that's likely what you're doing in your work as i've read you're trying to say hey guys this is how i'm thinking about it how i'm naming it so you don't have to get all defensive around anything here or have to get uh, explanatory around things it's just I, I want to try and go a little bit deeper is that is that resonating with you 100 so in, in my work I, I it's tough because just naming privilege can create a defensiveness and i think that's what you're Absolutely. pointing to and what i really want to do is say we're all in this together, that the system is producing a situation where in some dimensions I'm privileged, in some dimensions you're privileged, in yeah. some dimensions I'm disadvantaged, in some dimensions you're disadvantaged, and that that matters in our lives and it shouldn't be denied, right? It, we shouldn't pretend like, no, none of that is real when it's it's so on the face, the way society is operating. I mean, yes. I, it's just, it's and to deny it seems to me incredible I, I just don't know how a reasonable person can exist in, in our in our world and not see these things yeah and so i think i, I think becomes, when you how said do we engage I, with it i think that's it right there yeah i think it's how do we engage with it where i mean if you're going to take therapy just for a second you know people struggle when they come into therapy when they have to address those things that create anxiety what do we do we avoid it we distance we defend and so our defense mechanisms kick in so you know there's no big you know Freudian explanation right there. But what we're saying is that how do we talk about these things in a way that invites curiosity, that gets people to lean in and to maybe lessen some of the defensive reactions around it. And I, as I read your work, that's what I'm hearing you really do a nice job of to invite people into this without having to be defensive. You're not going to pin something on someone's chest in, in a guilt-inducing way or a label that makes them feel embarrassed. You're trying just to get them to broaden their perspective and maybe take some blinders off that they don't understand that they have on. And I really, I, I really admire that. Yeah, I think, you know, what's what I think generates defensiveness is that that the idea of privilege has this moral implication for people. It's right. as if they don't deserve what they have, as if they're bad yeah. people. And it's complicated because they do understand that they didn't do anything, right? It's not that they made a choice to be to be born a man or to be born white or to be born to rich parents or whatever it is. They, why are they being pinned with this moral taint for something they had nothing to do with? And I think right. that's 
and on the one hand, that's fair. And what I'm saying is, this is not an issue of individual morality. Like that's what I want people to see. This is an issue of the way the society is structured, right? I say this in one of the papers. I, th- I personally think guilt is relatively irrelevant. I mean, I just, I just I totally think that's, what said. that's just not important, yeah, right? I, I think, and, I think, I think guilt keeps us in, in, in the problem rather than moving towards a solution. So I, I am in total agreement around that. And that I wish people saw it as something that is being imposed on us all, right? Yeah. That there are psychological costs to seeing yourself as privileged. And that's why people are defensive about it. I understand that there are psychological and in and, and real life costs to being in a disadvantaged position. All those things are about the society that we exist in. And yeah. when we talk about privilege and disadvantage, we're not talking about usually an individual's choice or an individual's necessarily behavior. We're talking about the system that we exist in. And so when I say, hey, you're privileged, my claim is really about what the system has placed on you as opposed to something you've done that you that you should feel some kind of moral guilt about. At the right. same time, and this is what's hard, I think people have a hard time with this next distinction. Even though you didn't do anything, that does not mean you don't have responsibility. Very good, yes. If we could, let's flag that. Because I think there's there's kind of a, okay, what now question that ideally can arise out of what we're talking about today and where that obligation or that opportunity presents itself, if we can have a really non-reactive shared understanding of these things about not just how society is structured, but something that's imposed upon us all, but it's a system that exists and that we are all in, what do we do about it? I would love to segue at some point into that. But before we do, give us some sense, Brian, of as, as you've explored privilege, what are some of the dominant privileged positions in our society at this time? Yeah, so the research on this is pretty clear. Like, at least in the United States, gender and age are huge. These are distinctions that people see immediately. Gender, age, race. And there's one, one more that's actually really big that people don't talk about very much, which is an attractiveness bias. But I think ones that that really shape the way society is structured are gender and race in the United States. So on almost any dimension, if you look at those two variables, you just see differences, immense differences, not just differences in life outcomes, but differences in opinions, differences in the way our relationships are structured. So if you look at people's social networks, race is a huge predictor of like who your friends are, who your relationship partner is likely to be. So it it really shapes who we know, who we can engage with, and our life outcomes in, in significant ways. And so I I think sometimes people misunderstand my interest in race. I'm interested in race in a way that I can't imagine how people aren't interested in race. I think people would, because I'm a black guy, people assume it's personal. And, and that's that's true. But I don't know how it's not personal for everyone, given how much it's structuring our lives. Like, I just look around, I'm like, how could you, how could people not be interested in something that's so ubiquitous in your life and so, you know, constraining for everyone? It's not just for, you know what I mean? Like, if if I'm a white person, like, the vast majority of my friends are white. And even if I'm around other people, like, that is a strange situation. I'm I'm always surprised that people aren't more curious about it, given how present it is in our day-to-day lives. 
I think that's probably what's driving the work you do to maybe encourage people to get a little curious about, you know, what if you became more interested in this or what is it that maybe has kept you from taking a look at it? And if we can take a look at it, what might we be able to do with it? As you, as you talk about that piece of it and you're, you're finding maybe some conversations that you've researched and seen take place, there can be some psychological responses. You've defined it as the three Ds of defense. What are you seeing people's responses being when this topic comes up? Yeah, when you when you start when you talk about race, particularly with white people, because of the way again, it's not. I just want to be clear right? because sometimes people get confused about race. I'm not an essentialist. By that, I simply mean there's nothing special about being white or black except for what we create in society. That's what I believe. Meaning, so when I say white people respond this way, what I mean is people who are seen as white and treated as white, not people who are born with a certain skin tone or hair texture. Like that's just not. I don't, the genes are not relevant to me. It's the social meaning associated with the way you look. Yes. And so people who see themselves as white, when you start talking about things like race and privilege, it makes many people deeply uncomfortable. Yes. And the response first is to deny there's any difference, right? right. There's, there's no such thing as privileged. I'm not privileged. Look at all the hard things I've had in life, the bad things that have happened to me which are all true. Like, so people aren't making them up. They are pointing to real hardships and struggles. It's just not relevant <laughs> to the existence yeah. of, of privilege or the reality of race in the country. If you get past that, then often what people will do is say, yeah, yeah, that exists. Race is a thing, but I'm not like, you know, other white people or, you know, I, I don't think of myself as white or some way of trying to distance themselves from, what I assume they perceive to be the taint associated with privilege or at least implied aspersions as a function of being white. So they try to distance themselves from the group. And when they can't do that, when those things don't, when those things fail, then they move towards trying to actually, what I call dismantle the privilege mm. Um, mm. in part because it's uncomfortable, right? If it's like, it's like saying, I gave you something that is very valuable but you don't feel like you deserve it. You're embarrassed to have it. Yeah. And you think that other people are judging you when they see you with it. It's a way of trying to like give that thing away. Like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to, to rid myself of this burden mm -hmm. by giving it away. So that's when I talk about dismantling that, that's how I think about it, that the cost, the psychological cost in terms of how people view themselves, the fear that other people are judging them, those moral costs are such that when they can't deny them or distance themselves from them, they, they work to try to eliminate the connection. It's by giving it away or pushing it away. This idea of those, so those responses, three Ds, is the denial, the distancing, the dismantling. As you've talked to folks is, uh, and their responses tend to be this, why would they have to have those responses? And maybe that's the you know, hundred thousand dollar question here is why, why do they have to have those responses versus other responses? Why are they having those ones? Is it what you just mentioned? Maybe they're, you know, unknowingly unconsciously feeling judged or they don't, they're feeling like, you know, what they've got is questioned or they don't, they feel like all of a sudden they're kind of a guilty because they feel maybe I've deserved something. Why, why those responses have you found? Because we live in a society that glorifies the individual. We believe that like we exist independent of other people, that everything we have is purely Very deserved good. or not. 
Very good. And when, when someone tells us like, no, you didn't deserve that thing that it challenges our sense of ourselves. It challenges our personal virtue. And so that has to, it has to be managed. It, it generates a defensiveness that has to be dealt with. Which, I could by the see way, that. Has, yeah, which, cool. by the way, I think is a, I think is a honestly quite strange that, that we hold on to this idea that we exist as islands in some way in, a, in society. This idea of like meritocratic, you know, deserving us like everything I have should really just be a function of my hard work and talent when we know that that's just not true. As an example, like parents strive to give their kids every possible advantage because they know they, they don't just say, hey, you're here. Good luck. Right. Work hard and we'll see where your talent takes you. No, they do everything they can. They give their kids lessons. They put their kids in this thing. They try to get their kids in the right schools. They push sure. them to, because we know that's just not how it actually works. But somehow we behave as if the individual is the sole source of their own outcomes. Really good. So when you're challenging people just to take a look at this, it's it it challenges a couple of things. One is, well, you're you're questioning something that I've worked hard for, and therefore through merit I should be experiencing. Got it on my own, the individual piece of it. The other part is maybe part of a message, and and I, and I'm looking as we talk today to think about ways these conversations can happen with a less defensive response coming from folks. I mean, that's one of the arts of therapy. How do you bring these things to people and allow them to sit with a dissonance without having to defend against it, but instead to look into it? Because with that understanding, that awareness, then we can look to move towards change. Folks, pardon the interruption, but we'll continue this discussion on our next show. I wanna thank our guest, Brian Lowry, for coming on the show today. For more information about Brian and his podcast, Know What You See, please visit knowwhatyousee.com. For more information about articles and other media content by Brian Lowry about race, equality, and privilege, please visit knowwhatyousee.com slash media dash page. And lastly, I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.